everyone. My name is Christian, and welcome back to Throughline, the podcast where we try to find the concept in non-concept albums. Seeing as we're about three months into the podcast now, I think it's fair to give a refresher on how the podcast works. The majority of episodes will follow a three-part structure. This part, the first, will introduce the podcast's episode for the week and give some stats and descriptions on the album, the artist, and the genre or style. The second part of the episode is the bulk, where I'll break down the album using its lyrics, music, song and album titles, and album artwork to find the thematic connection throughout the album. It's through line. This is done devoid of as much outside influence as possible, only looking at what the elements of the album can tell us. Finally, the third and final part typically has me enter into a conversation with a fan of the band or record to discuss what the artist or fans have said about the album's intention. This section does include outside research, as implied. So with that out of the way, let's get into this week's episode. It's in a genre I'm relatively unfamiliar with as a whole, and from a band I had never heard before. It's Hive Mind by the Internet. That's the band's actual name, The Internet. I'm super unsure how that's been up for grabs for so long, so good for them for claiming it and then becoming relatively famous to kind of cement that legacy. Hive Mind, the album in question, is the fourth studio album by The Internet, released in 2018, three years after their previous record. The album saw pretty strong reviews, placing it at an aggregate Metacritic score of 83, averaging between 3.5 and and 5 stars, and resulting in it being their strongest score to date. The album has yet to achieve certification status in any country, though, selling 14,000 copies in its first week with other sales numbers hard to find. It also didn't chart exceptionally well, but its highest rating was second on the US Billboard R&B chart and third on the regular UK R&B chart. The Russian version of GQ did rank it as the eighth best album of 2018, though, so there's something as well. But despite its middling official numbers, the album's singles show 35 million listens each on Spotify alone from Hivemind, which showcases one of the modern consequences of the streaming era. Massive numbers on Spotify do not always translate into high album sales, as less and less people buy albums whole, rather streaming the singles they like piecemeal. There's a conversation about the detriment this has on the music industry, but that's one for another time. For those of you who don't know who the internet is, they are a fairly pronounced blend R&B jazz hip hop group from Los Angeles, California. Originally founded by Sidney Bennett or Sid, Matthew Martin or Matt Martians, and Tay Walker, the band has since grown to include Patrick Page II, Christopher Smith, and Steve Lacey, losing Tay Walker in 2013. As such, the band is a full five members, each tackling a single instrument, keyboards, drums, bass guitar, electric guitar. They've achieved some level of fame, being nominated for a Grammy for their previous album Ego Death, and consistently performing in the mid-range of some charting positions since their debut album. With two and a half million unique listeners on Spotify in the last month alone, they definitely aren't an unknown band. However, it's believed they won't be a band at all much longer. The lead singer claims that their next album, likely releasing soon, will be their last together. So make the most of the time they have left if you're a fan, or just beginning to be one because of this episode. And if you are the latter, sorry we couldn't warn you sooner. With an average of about 50 shows per touring year, for a total of 300 shows under their belts, I'd say you have likely about 75 to 100 shows remaining to see them live. So plan as soon as they announce dates. And finally, for those of you who don't really know what R&B is, well, for starters, an explanation starts with knowing that it stands for rhythm and blues. So it's obviously based on jazz and blues in the early 20th century. It originally defined a music genre that was predominantly performed by African Americans in the 1940s, a type of jazz that was much more beat and, well, rhythm-focused. Its definition has changed a number of times over the years, becoming a catch-all for many of its spin-off variants, such as funk or soul, but more recently has come to describe a variation of the original R&B that blends other styles into it. Jazz, hip-hop, soul, funk, electronic all merge together into contemporary R&B to provide 
provide its iconic and unique flow and cadence. In some way, it's one of those genres you kind of have to feel more than define. And fortunately, this album does a damn fine job of representing that idea. So without further ado, as much as I love to ado, let's get right into it with this week's episode of Throughline, covering Hive Mind by the Internet. <laughs> So I'm going to start off by saying that this album is about nothing. Yep, we've done it. We cracked the code and we can go home early. You know about the album and band's history and now you know what the album is about. Themes really are sometimes that easy to find. Get you all back next time as we wrap coverage on this week's episode of Throughline. We hope you enjoy the 50 plus minutes of nothing following the episode. Think of it as a period of silence for the episode that could have been and a metaphor for the album's meaning. Have a good night. Well, obviously that's not actually the case, but credit given where credit is due, this album on the surface level does appear to be about nothing in particular. When I first started listening to the album, on my brother's suggestion, I was having a bit of trouble. Firstly, because this is an R&B album, and I am not an R&B listener by nature. In my 140-hour playlist of my regular listenables, I don't think I have a single rhythm and blues album. Now, this isn't the only genre I've neglected in my main playlist, but it is the most relevant. As such, I was already on an uphill battle to determine the nature by which I should begin to look at what the thematic connection of the album is. Then, the second issue I had with this album was that the lyrics did feel rather simplistic at times. Something about it didn't feel like it lent itself to some overarching idea. Now, this isn't in and of itself a bad thing. Music does not have to have a greater meaning, as we've said a few times on this podcast, but when you're trying to write a podcast that has to do with finding a deeper meaning in albums, you typically hope that there is at least some inkling of an idea. So as I continued listening more and more to the album, growing increasingly frustrated at my brother for seeming to miss the point of my request for album recommendations that would work well for this format, I came close to giving up. Until I dropped the album for about a week. I didn't listen to it at all for days. I completely focused my attention on other hobbies or interesting things and refused to further my attempts at deciphering an identity for the album. I completely squandered my chance to catch up on the podcast and stop finishing episodes just a few days before they released. Yet despite this disappointment in myself, in this procrastination, living my life without constant distraction or grinding, I stumbled upon an idea, one having a connection to the faceted nature of the world I began to notice, its disparate pieces is all colliding and smashing into new fragments, new variations on what life could have been and what it was. And in these kaleidoscopes of experience, I had a recurring epiphany, one that I had encountered before, that everyone else must also have interesting and varied lives of whom's experience must have been vastly different. Everyone around me navigates life uniquely, has unique relationships, has unique stories, and no more is this personified and readily transparent than on the internet. No, not this band, the internet. Wait a second. Yes, actually this band, the internet, and specifically the totality of this album. I had been trying to connect each song into one story, like I had with a few of the other episodes, but this, against my better judgment and kind of hypocritical to the very thing I try to avoid, is being reductive. Instead, it turns out this album is about the different voices, the different people in the world, and the different ways they take part in modern relationships. Now, the easiest way to come to this conclusion is just to take a look at the short phrase synopsis of every song on the album. Going down the list from top to bottom, part of the album reads as follows. Reluctant cooperation, a worried crush, a begging crush, a bachelor type. Anxious fear, a disgusted ex, a nervous date, a missed chance, or one-sided relationship. This isn't even all the way through, and already it's clear that there's no way this can be about one person in a cohesive fashion, let alone one relationship, unless it's absolutely the most bonkers relationship to ever relation. Even that last song we mentioned is broken up into two different songs that have almost nothing to do with one another. Listen to the chorus of the first half, Next Time, and then a chorus from the second half, Humble Pie. Stop.
don't even sound the same. Even the way she's singing, the sound of her voice, these could be totally different songs. We'll talk about why they didn't just separate them later, but for now it just goes to show this array of voices presented in the album. And speaking of Sid's singing, as well as talking about this idea of an array of voices, we hear another piece of evidence for the chorus of different perspectives in the album very clearly on Stay the Night. This song, despite its simplicity and almost exhaustive repetition, actually has one of the most hard-hitting messages on the album. And we'll cover that a bit later, but that exhaustive repetition actually goes to describe our point. Take a listen first. It's very clearly Sid's voice, the main singer of the band, throughout this section. But the vocal track pans between the two speakers, and she takes on subtly different tonal qualities as each repetition of the line very softly crosses over the previous, almost as if different voices all speaking out at the same time. This is not just one perspective that we're getting. This is many, and we get even further evidence of this idea just from the sheer number of timbres and tones Sid takes on throughout the album, going from a soft crooning in this song, to a funky slur in mood, to a breathy confidence in humble pie, and beyond. Her voice rarely remains static, song to song, as if to impose a different personality in each. To further add texture to this idea, there are even a few other vocalists that sometimes harmonize or even fully take over the lead. But alright, so we're getting an attempt to showcase a multitude of different modern relationships and the ways different people approach their situations. But this feels incredibly broad, a topic to try and broach within the confines of one album. And well, it is, which is why the album places a particular type of intention behind the presentation of each song. And we get a hint at this from the album title, Hive Mind. What is a hive mind exactly? Well, typically, it's a fairly common staple in some avenues of science fiction or fantasy. Even recently, the hive mind was an important concept in Stranger Things, where all alive entities from the upside down were connected by a kind of shared intelligence, able to send and receive information between each specimen as if all operating from the same mind and nervous system. In a more dictionary real-life definition, a hive mind is a collection of individuals who exist within an echo chamber, all sharing similar opinions in an uncritical environment, emphasis on uncritical, and making decisions based on the evidence of that collective consciousness. This, in theory, is not great. A lack of criticality breeds stagnation, which restricts growth, which in turn causes decay and eventual disintegration. Things need to be challenged to be worthwhile in a society, and through that challenge do we come out the other side with more information and a better plan to move forward. The most aggressive and society-challenging hive mind in existence right now is the internet as a whole, which means it, first off, is an incredibly fitting album name for the band. Obviously, the internet is filled with many subsections of hive minds and dangerous echo chambers, but the internet as a whole has massive power in pushing the future of society in one way or another. In the context of the album, the hive mind presents an idea regarding modern relationships, and every song is filtered through this medium. And that's really where we reach the through line of the album, early. But that doesn't mean the episode's ending early. We need some time to really dig into each song as a result of this theme as they function more often independently than they do cohesively. But in fullness, the throughline of the album is one of different voices navigating modern relationships in a dangerous world. Kind of interesting how often music references how dangerous and uncaring the world is as a whole, huh? So the first song on the album is Come Together. This is an odd song to start out with on quite a few levels. As far as openers go, it's hardly a banger. It has a very peculiar chord progression and doesn't specifically have a main singer, rather a chorus of voices all presenting this opening theme. And honestly, that may be largely the purpose. As we said before, this album is about different perspectives, and there's no better way to really cement that than by having the first song be primarily sung by a group. This is the collective hive mind, and it introduces an interesting sentiment right at the beginning. They gun get us to come together. 
Taking the they as society in general, this in part feels like a reference to the general incentive to enter into a relationship. Whether it be romantic, professional, casual, competitive, the globalizing nature of the internet has made it almost essential to be interconnected with as many people as possible. There is no living alone in a modern digital age. The tone of the song and the nature of the repeated lines seem to suggest a near reluctance to this idea, mirrored in the subtle riffs on viewing the world through two-dimensional facsimiles of real people, and the lack of foresight into the endgame of this type of civilization. This is most easily seen in the opening verse. I want those eyes only on one side, only in the wide. Eyes on one side represent someone's profile, which ties into a profile picture in a way, and only in the wide references a common type of profile picture or social media picture, which reduces the totality of one's life into small, flat vignettes of reality. And this viewing of vignettes does not exit consideration in Roll, alternatively called Burbank Funk. Roll is even lighter lyrics-wise than Come Together, repeating the namesake 21 times in the song, but it continues a connection to social media in its chorus. Stars shine so bright, they're up so high, I want to fly. Star in this instance could be a reference to the actual stars in the sky, connecting the lead singer's desires for love to the majesty of space and wishing himself hurtling in their place. But if we very specifically dig into star as a reference to celebrities and contextually online celebrities or influencers, we can pull out another connecting internet theme. Now, a quick important note on this specific conclusionary leap. Obviously, the wordplay in these albums could be much more innocent than I suggested. One of the main arguments made by students and naysayers is that analyzing literature is inherently pointless because the art may have had the walls blue because they thought blue was just a damn fine color for those walls. However, there's no way to know for sure whether or not they intended for these meanings or for meaning at all. But even decisions made under the belief that the decision doesn't matter were influenced into creation by some aspect of that person's psyche or personality. So when analyzing a work of art, in order to find meaning or find a connection that will allow us to better connect with the material, the best thing we can do is make assumptions. Assumptions generally are not necessarily bad things. Science is built on stating, testing, and debunking assumptions, and assumptions are useful for problem solving in small-scale situations or promoting survivability in sudden encounters. Assumptions only become problematic when they perpetuate a stereotype and bad faith that causes harm or otherwise discredits the person or thing being referenced. However, again, in this context, they allow us the opportunity to find a meaning important to us within the confines of the music. So if STARS does stand for internet celebrities, then the song is introducing a character that is influenced by these people into attempting to reach for and attain a life they view as far beyond them. Interestingly, however, there is another line that complicates this view, where he asks, as you're coming down, where'd your heart go? Almost referencing the common belief that those with status lose some aspect of who made them them in the first place. Yet this doesn't dissuade the main character from continuing to desire this life, conditioned by the internet to continue this hope. And Come Over refracts this message into a type of unceasing desperation. I can turn One of the common tentpoles of modern dating is one of being incessant. In the constant howling of other voices, multiple apps to download, and a plethora of people constantly vying for others' attention, 
creates a sense of urgency to relationships. Moving quickly, being direct and almost forward seems like one of the only ways to stand out in the market. However, the song also shows a hint of another dangerous facet of current relationships in Sid's claim that the love interest is wasting your time by refusing to submit to her advances. Some individuals, common in the incel or involuntary celibate community, especially ones that proclaim themselves to be nice guys when really they aren't, in the event of a conversation not going the way they want to, or not progressing into the stage of the relationship they want it to be in at the time, will resort to insulting the other person in a misguided attempt to batter their ego enough that the other person will then be open to their manipulation. And the song has a tag at the end, sung by Steve Lacey instead, who references the type of woman who desires gifts and expressions of vanity over true attachment, but in a way that almost mirrors the incel behavior from earlier, parodying the iconic nice guy behavior of claiming that their desires in the world are just too complex and unique for the normal everyday girl. Take a listen to this part to see what I mean. These bitches want diamond rings, bird bags, and other bling. I just don't feel the same. Vanity's not my thing. It's interesting because it also heavily contradicts the earlier line by Sid, complimenting the girl on her designer jeans, saying she's stylin', only to then turn it around into an insult when the girl keeps refusing her advances. Now, again, I could be totally wrong. They could actually be playing the song entirely straight, merely a song about unrequited love and or attention from someone they believe was too caught up in their own vanity to have something real. This is a completely valid read as well, as it even ties itself into the theme of the album also by commenting on the damages of the hive mind of trends and needing to appear up to date or fashionable or all around cool to feel like you have any status, as it tends to diminish focus on more important things. I'll leave the final interpretation up to you, but it does start to introduce a new concept into the album, one of false or misleading information. We don't know what the real intention behind these songs is, and it could be purposefully designed to be multiplicitous or dubious in an attempt to mirror the real world or the digital one. But speaking of that second reading, it almost directly ties into La Di Da. This song introduces a new type of character based on the concept we just laid out. This is somebody who has assimilated themselves into the idea of vanity and coolness to the point where they're incapable of nailing down a long-term relationship. Take a listen to the chorus and notice the push and pull between the protagonist and their target. This person is hookup focused. They are looking to catch the groove and then dip, find purchase and split, cooling on someone just as quickly as they matched with them. And the verses reinforce this idea, describing someone draped in designer, a concept they just lampooned in the previous song, who is then claiming they are out of your league and doing things like threatening to snatch up your wife. This individual is slimy and dangerous, a product of rabbit hole conditioning that claims that this is the coolest thing that somebody can do and be without providing any sort of information on repercussions or retrospection. But just as we were about to start shouting that, hey, wait, there is totally a running theme here song to song, beyond just the filtering of hive mind through different modern relationships. We come to stay the night, which takes on a wholly different approach. We've talked about this song a little bit, introducing the idea of multiple voices multiple individuals overlapping in the chorus. And if we dig into the meaning of this song, the totality of the choruses, well, chorus, becomes much more devastating. Listen to part of verse two to get some of the context. I just want you safe, baby. I 
know you're angry, feeling your fate is on the line. Yeah, unfortunately, this is about racism. One of the most dangerous echo chambers created by the internet hive mind is one that perpetuates these ideas of racism, sexism, homophobia, segregation, genocide, and more through indoctrination and false information. The song then takes on the tone of someone paranoid about their partner's life fearing they could be taken by some stupid and unfair issue out in the shadows of the world, the night. And the chorus shows us the heartbreak of the song. It's not just one person afraid, it's many. Many singing out in fear of not seeing their loved one again, begging them to stay where they believe they'll be safe, or at least safer. And almost out of fear itself, in a reflection of the attempt in the last song to shut away the dangerous outside world, we move beyond that topic into Bravo. This comma thing don't pick and choose. So every time that you perform, I learn just a little more. What a waste, babe, what a shame. This is another song that criticizes the nature of the constant and near forceful manipulation by social media and status-based culture to achieve bigger and better things at the cost of your relationships and your own humanity. This is also again disguised under a metaphoric-like look at a relationship, this time where one individual is noticing and calling out the lies of the other and the eventual and inevitable breakup. Words come out your mouth, look around at the mess you made. Watching from the crowd, it's astounding you're on your way. This can be either looked at as a reaction to a theatrical performance by their then-lover to explain away a situation they were caught red-handed in, or an actual criticism of a messy career position gained by burning people along the way, surprised that they've even made it this far. But despite this, nothing is so bad in this album as to be absolute. There is still good in the world, and still good in some people, free from the more damaging and colonizing parts of the hive mind. There's still hesitancy and genuinity, actual intention defined by real desire, even within the context of something as simple as attempting to seduce another person. This next song, Mood, is largely about that seduction, as there are a lot of lyrics in it referencing sexual actions, most noticeably in verse 3. Please have a seat, get comfortable. I'll try not to fuck up the flow. Right where I want you. The lyrics here are nervous regarding avoiding messing up the flow or even the way the singer compliments their partner's outfit in an almost offhand way, saying it's kinda nice too as a rushed afterthought. This song is one of the most simple. There isn't a lot to be read into the meaning, but its positioning in the exact center of the album signals an emotional and genuine core. There is a kernel of authenticity in the hive. And this continues through to the next song, Next Time, Kind Of. This is the two-part song we referenced earlier, Next Time slash Humble Pie. Next Time is largely the same as Mood, extending this authenticity through another example of nervous crushing. The main character in the song is lamenting a missed connection because they were too nervous. The other side of the same coin from Mood, where she is successful, despite the nervous energy. In fact, the choruses all reference a similar feeling to the end of Mood, whereas the tag at the end of Mood talks about buying exotic flowers next time. In some ways, this song could actually be about somebody who missed out on the opportunity to go out with the same person from Mood, pining for someone who was snatched away before you ever worked up the courage to ask them out or even talk to them. Fairly common and relatable feeling. However, just as we were starting to dig into a more hopeful foundation, the song takes an abrupt turn right after the protagonist of the song vows to next time just go over and start a conversation. Just say hello. There must be a reason that Humble Pie does not exist on its own. And the most obvious reasoning is because it's a continuation or reaction to the storyline in Next Time. Now, nervous energy is sometimes an inevitability. People are worried about how others will react because the only people we know even close to entirely is ourselves. 
there's no meaningful or accurate way to completely predict how someone will handle a situation. However, there is a subsection of people who blame or insult other people for rejecting their advances because they believe that it's only because they are sensitive or different than the others they perceive that person to be more likely attracted to. In reality, attraction is complicated and ethereal, and sometimes it's hard to know why you're attracted or not attracted to one person for one reason or another. But the incorrect reaction to this rejection is explored in Humble Pie. This is a retreading of familiar ground has come over, whereas a rejected advance is met with insulting behavior, claiming the person wasn't good enough for them to begin with. Take a listen to verse 2. All this wisdom, but you never listen. The singer is claiming that their target is dumb, feigning wisdom, incorrect because they aren't smart enough to submit to them. The chorus even claims that they should be looking for something real, real love, but they have nothing to give. This is classic incel behavior of immediately classifying an individual as vapid or worse for turning them, the perfect specimen of chivalrous qualities, down. Anyone who's been on the receiving end of this type of interaction understands this behavior. But again, just as a theme begins to form, another song breaks the rhythm. Just as the internet is an onslaught of random information rapidly cycling between the exhilarating to the mundane to the horrifying, so too does this album tick randomly between themes. This episode itself is fairly stunted and hard lines between a lot of different topics because it's mirroring the changes shown in the album. At this point, we've already uncovered the dangerous culture of prolific racism, the worrying side of incel culture and echo-chambered belief in the unconditional right to intimacy, the capitalistic focus on trends and hustles, as well as an actual genuine core of human connection and intimacy. And at this point, we again introduce a new theme in It Gets Better. This song is largely filled with a repeating choral riff of Sid singing, I hope you know that it gets better with time. This is a nice sentiment, but it's soured a little bit by the verses. Listen to one of them to see what I mean. Sit up and fix your face. You see me? I'm okay. We ain't got time today. In a vacuum, this is seeming to take on a problematic stance that mirrors the pull yourself up by your bootstraps crowd in minimizing poverty or mental health as something that is easily escapable if you just try hard enough. The real world isn't quite that simple, and this reductive sentiment is amplified and parroted a lot more often on the internet, often as comment in response to a post depicting an actual problem that exists beyond simple solutions. These responses empty criticisms, devoid of actual help. However, this song also has a doubled meaning, and this is a lot clearer in the spoken word-esque raps in the middle and end of the song. If we look at the near end of the second rap section, we get a hint at the actual problem described. This is what you make it. Take it how you gonna take it. My ground is solid and no earthquake could not shake it. Ain't waiting on nothing, not even no reparations. Heavily meditating. But it gets better with time. And I'm sober now. Ain't waiting on nothing, not even no reparations. Reparations, for those not sure, are a semi-controversial payment system devised to atone for the sins of the past to oppressed groups. In their absolute best intention, they're meant to help equalize the playing field by providing boosts to groups whose societal development has been stunted by atrocity. This line recontextualizes the entire song into a conversation about the oppressed or disenfranchised hiding their emotions, their anger at the past, their anger at the present non-equitable state in order to appear harmless in a world that will punish them for any supposed appearance to intend to cause harm. There's a mantra-like willing of actual betterness, a hope that it will get better if the words are repeated often enough, and the two rap-like sections then begin to emerge as more complete ways to support oneself if society continues to refuse to. 
It's no mistake that this is the most lyrical song on the album, beating the number of unique lines of any other by a mile. And that's because this is the most telling regarding the state of the societal hive mind and the worries of those being damaged by it. And realistically, this is where the album ends, at least with introducing more important themes. Immediately after presenting the most grounded song on the album, the album veers into four more songs that recenter the album into its simple deconstruction of modern relationships, softening or further hiding the true aspects. This again matches the way the real-life internet masks or deadens the noise of actual complaints, burying them in an array of new, constant, and equally shocking or distracting material. Look What You Started kicks this off immediately, representing the general idea of internet congestion through the replacement of the standard U, Y-O-U, in the title with just the letter U, a slight hint at internet or text slang. Even the music in the song is punchy, an almost brutal bass line that completely rattles the mind away from the softness of the last song. The song itself is a pretty classic anger song following a breakup. The lyrics are a mix of insulting and aggressive, as well as frustrated and upset that it had to happen at all. There's another reference to karma here, but in a much more straightforward and deserved way than before. There is, though, one interesting line that further connects it to a modern stigma, regarding a somewhat problematic trend of either claiming one has a mental health issue that they don't for clout, or blaming their failings on their personal issues in an attempt to deny accountability for one's actions. The singer says, Don't know what you're going through. You blame it on your problems, but it's no excuse. In retaliation to this sentiment, the song is taking a bit of a stance regarding this trend, claiming that there is the possibility that someone can be going through something that's difficult to explain or understand, but it is still within the responsibility of that person encountering those difficulties to attempt to make right by their mistakes regardless of the cause of them. But again, as we introduce even just a minor theme, the album immediately pivots away and enters into to an even lighter song with Wanna Be. Honestly, there's actually almost nothing to say about this song. Its placement appears to be a continuation of that layering and obfuscation of the powerful lines in It Gets Better presenting a light song with jewel-tone aesthetics that, for all intents and purposes, is devoid of anything more than surface level. Not to say it's a bad song, but it doesn't introduce a new idea, rather just acting as another buffer. And the following song again presents another buffer. Biko Azan does have something interesting to say, though, about the difficulties and consequences of navigating a relationship that exists between an individual in a touring band and someone on the outside of that. Interestingly, this does seem to be very communicative. The singer stating that he wants to continue the relationship, but that he understands the difficulty of it, saying that if it don't work, it's okay. He is aware that the one thing he can't do is give up the music, as he is very adamant that the beat goes on, possibly another slight reference to a kind of toxic hustle culture as referenced earlier. Yet, just as Wannabe introduces simplicity as distraction, Beat Goes On perpetuates and doubles down. Look What You Started used a hard bass line to immediately change tone, and Beat Goes On does a similar hard musical change to further simplify the album's lyrical and thematic texture. Take a listen to this change. From this point on, the singer does not say anything, but the beat goes on and on. The world keeps turning, the album keeps moving, and nothing stops it, and nothing stays current. And finally, we end on Hold On. Hey. 
This is the longest song in the album, and again, rather simple. Another facet of relationships, this one taking a look at a kind of mixture of all of the previous, more so the positive ones. Being the longest, the song forces the listener to stew and marinate in this world, this sonic space of lightness, with the singer crooning for connection. In a way, this repetition of hold on grounds the topic of it gets better, but in a subtle, palatable way, a watering down of the idea. However, this existence of multiplicity does present a more complete feeling of connection, one that takes the entirety of the album before it and molds it into a feeling. And as the song fades away, so does the album. And what we're left with is that multiplicity, a sense of calm, but one with the faint hints of the good and bad from before, the modern connections fueled by a sense of desperation and incessant desire, worried about another's reactions and somewhat combative or competitive with the other's posturing, and all ensconced in a type of primal fear of loss, one of holding onto the moments that one has in fear that they could get worse or taken away in just a moment. The introduction of the internet and its subsequent globalization has the power for good, a power to connect society in ways that were otherwise impossible. But this is predicated on the assumption that people will commingle with those who disagree and take on new perspectives in ways that challenge and grow them. In a world of hive minds, devoid of this challenge, the world becomes fragmented and two-dimensional, quick to judge and quick to harm, and one that buries the truth in easier things to digest. The internet, the band, knows that connection is good, but connection is only true and beautiful if it is full of the multiplicity of our lives, our personalities, and our environment. We are each other. We are connected, but we are also ourselves, not just the hive mind. And what makes us unique is what makes us real. Welcome back to Throughline. We just got done talking about the album, and now we're going to have a quick conversation about what others have said about the album, what the band has said about the album, what reviewers have said about the album. And today I have a special guest with me, my brother, Connor. How's it going? It's good. I'm, yeah, happy to be here. I'm happy you joined. And this was an interesting album for me. When I first asked for albums to cover on the podcast, obviously I went to family first and I was really trying to figure out areas that I didn't know well enough. And you're my go-to when it comes to R&B, hip-hop, rap, and stuff like that. And you suggested this band and I had never heard of them, which is not really a surprise, but like, how did you get into this band at all in the first place? So I knew about Steve Lacey already before I right. got into the internet. Yeah, I mean, you almost suggested his band, his album first. Well, yeah, <laughs> I just felt like the topic on that one. Actually, that one was a concept album, the one I recommended. And then I understood the assignment afterwards. <laughs> but Right. But yeah, so through Steve Lacey, but also I knew Sid because I used to listen to Odd Future a lot. Right. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about her origin when I was doing the research for this section. Is yeah. what a what a wild name for a group though. Oh yeah. Isn't it Odd yeah. Future? Odd Future Wolfgang Kill them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They had so many talented people in that group. Right, like Tyler the Creator, Frank Ocean, yeah. to name a couple. Earl Sweatshirt, who's like probably one of the best rap artists of the century. Might have to cover them later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. His lyricism is crazy. You'd have to be into rap to, I think, really be able to digest it. Well, see, that's kind of the purpose of the podcast in general, is that in order to try out music that you otherwise wouldn't have tried by gaining some insight into the making of the album, the intention behind the albums, because a lot of people don't go into other genres of music because they think that they're devoid of something like, oh, it doesn't it's not musical, so I can't get into it or oh, it's not deep, so I can't get into it. And 
so yeah. one of the reasons for the podcast is to say like, oh, okay, well, all albums are deep in some way. They all have intention behind them. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, I heard of them. I didn't even hear of them. I like would listen to radio stations based off of certain songs that I would listen to. And that's normally how I find new music. So in this case, I think it was probably one of Steve Lacey's songs in his first EP that he put out on Spotify. And the internet would come up often. And I didn't actually know that there was a connection until in 2018 when I went to the Tyler the Creator Festival. So I actually saw them live there. And I had already listened to their music before. But seeing them live, it was a crazy thing. I haven't seen a lot of bands live before, but everyone in that band is so talented and it was just a vibe the entire time they were doing their set list right yeah and it's weird because you mentioned like you had been a fan of steve lacy prior to hearing about them and this band is really bizarre in that almost every one of the artists has a pretty successful solo career outside of the band yeah like crazy talented people i know steve lacy he was like 17 when he produced one of the songs on uh damn for Kendrick Lamar yeah but yeah so so you got into this band and you suggested this album what specifically about this album was yeah this is something that I think you need to cover I just normally when I listen to music it's not the lyrics it's the instrumentals and I knew that you would be able to appreciate the diversity and instrumentals in this album yeah I myself hadn't really delved too deep into this album itself and I thought it would be a fun challenge so I thought it was a good opportunity and I do listen to a lot of concept albums and this happened to not be a right. concept <laughs> album. That right. Yeah, I mean, I definitely looked into it and tried to find a concept in it, but it was difficult. And I do go over this in my breakdown, like it was tough finding a cohesive concept in this album because it just seemed like they were just vibing. <laughs> yeah, but I thought that too, like when I would listen to the album, I didn't ever look for anything deeper, but getting the chance to like look for a theme, look for all of that, it really made me see that they were pretty intentional, I think, with some of the things they said and way they wrote it i do like i like roll a lot just because i feel like it has so many layers and potential meanings behind it because mm -hmm. in the song itself he's talking about getting high and then coming down in like the way that you described it fame and the internet sense but i mean rolling is also potentially referring to taking drugs and getting oh, high yeah you're right yeah and then also it's about a gamble on a relationship and just trying to go with the flow like rolling the dice and rolling along with whatever happens wow it's like the it's the infamous quintuple entendre <laughs> I, I, I got one more. Hold on. If you go farther in the album, people keep talking about how they're wearing masks or being people who they really aren't. They're playing a role. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that was intentional, but I thought it was just amazing how many different ways you could interpret such a minimally lyricized song. Yeah, it's one of the lightest on lyrics. He repeats the role thing over and over again. And that's kind of one of the weird things about this band is because they're all like solo artists, because they're all almost independent. It's a very everything that I was reading is they're very democratic band. Like they work through issues together. They don't have egos that are fighting against each other. And there's actually a interview that they did with High Snobiety, which says Hive Mind is all about a group of egos, bodies and minds joining forces on a subconscious level. And so you it's a hive mind. <laughs> yeah, it's a hive mind. That's the most surprising thing that I saw when I was researching this section is that I was reading hive mind as this kind of very negative thing. A hive mind um, is always typically this negative idea of it's uncritical. There's no challenging of ideas. But the way that the band is interpreting hive mind is, hey, we all have these different perspectives. We're going to bring them together and form something new. We're going to work together and use our collective strengths to create one entity that is stronger than us individually. Or if you will, come together. Yes, right. Yeah, the, the first song is absolutely just about them working together on the album, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Right. We were talking a little bit before we started recording where I was laying out how this worked and you said, oh, I kind of disagreed with a few of the things that you said, which was awesome because that's a whole part of this is finding the other meanings that are hidden in it. I was wondering specifically if you had any one moment that was different to what you were reading into that was different from what I read. So you you kept referring to the internet a lot, like the internet, not the band, the internet itself. <laughs> right. And I saw that theme, but I kind of felt like the album was more towards the dating aspect of it, trial and error, and you'll develop as a person as you go through these different relationships. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of um, relationship talk in the album, but in a way that a lot of the songs all cover different aspects of a relationship or different approaches to a relationship. You have examples of individuals who are extremely hyper-confident and almost hookup-focused in mm -hmm. La Di Da, and then you have Sid's nervous energy and mood where she's just trying to get with somebody and then you have look what you started which is really aggressive against like an ex who wronged you so it's all it's very diverse in what it's trying to accomplish yeah and i felt like i had found some chronological order to it all oh i have to point. hear this because i couldn't find <laughs> chronological that was the thing i was like these don't feel like the same relationship so <laughs> yeah I, I kept trying to see it from one character's perspective. So right. imagine it's this character A, but there's all of these different people who share this end goal is the love, which I think comes out in the last song, Realistically Hold On, which is where they just seem to have finally found it. So right. Which is the longest yeah. song in the album. If you were to put a happily ever after at the end of an album, like you might as well make it the longest because that's the longest oh, yeah. period. <laughs> like it's the happily ever after. Dang, that's pretty good. <laughs> I was getting giddy trying to, when I started finding little points that connected to each other, it was cool. Yeah, it's kind of like a puzzle almost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a puzzle that they probably didn't necessarily mean to put together. Right, which is one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit was I spent like an hour or so, because I do a little bit of research before this, but just before we started talking, I put like a solid hour in of just trying to find anything that the band had said about it. And one that stood out to me was come over come over I kind of ripped into in a weird way like I very specifically was reading it as a bad thing but reading what Sid said about come over in a genius like she did like a verified genius lyrics thing yeah. it just seems she just had a girl that she liked that just didn't want her to come over sometimes and she's <laughs> like that's dumb and like that's the whole song like that's the whole meaning behind it and I put this whole thing of involuntary celibate. <laughs> well, yeah, but like they did intentionally put the diamond rings. Right. Where they shift the perspective of clearly this person's rejecting me. Right. All they want is diamond rings nowadays. Blah, blah, blah. So basically, I wrote down in my notes, I said, Sid is saying, we're adults. Why are we wasting time on this app when we can make meet face to face? And sure, I feel like, yeah, in the modern dating world, that's that's pretty often what one side is feeling. And then sometimes the other side just wants to stay in the online world. And either way, I can understand and relate to it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if necessarily either person is in the wrong. I know she seemed a little pushy with right. the <laughs> repetition, but yeah. but it might have just been coming off that way. It'd be interesting to see that song from the other perspective, though. Right. <laughs> Will you please stay away? I've asked you already multiple times. <laughs> it gives me similar energy to the Stay the Night, but not really. So when I first was listening to Stay the Night, I was reading it as like a nice guy is wanting to like force someone to stay with them it's like the christmas song baby it's cold outside like right. you don't want to go out there it's scary stay here with me right but like the other person's like no i really i gotta go but yeah like i read your synopsis and everything and i definitely feel like it probably has more of a political and and racial um, meaning behind it. Right. Well, one of the weird things about Stay the Night and the whole interpretation that you were beginning to put out, well, the whole conversation with Baby It's Cold Outside, because a little while ago, I heard an interpretation of Baby It's Cold Outside, where because it was written in a specific time period, 
it was more having to do with the cultural norms of the time. Women were not allowed to say that they wanted to stay over. So mm. the guy was giving excuses for her to justify why she should be allowed to stay. She could have left at any point, but she kept stalling. So it's more has to do with, oh, culturally, she wasn't allowed to be attracted in that way to stay the night which Dang. absolutely gets lost over time yeah because it's creepy it's creepy now right listening to that song like she clearly doesn't want to be there bud and context is so important and context i think is one of the things that really informs this album because stay the night if we weren't in a culture in a contextual culture of a lot of racial relations a lot of tense situations regarding minority groups regarding all of this stuff then this song would probably read a little creepy yeah that's that's true I and mean, i think that's really important for the album and for just kind of reading music in general is sometimes context gets lost and a lot of times and this is something that i say a lot the perception of something is almost more important than the intention because people are very emotional and so they'll react in a worse way immediately than given more time and so perception is really important and managing perception is really important yeah definitely dang um and, and i think it was interesting because stay the night and in my personal opinion it gets better are fairly political songs and they're in the kind of like first third and second third position of the album right but sid has gone on the record a few times saying that she doesn't want to be the person leading the conversation for this kind of stuff hmm. like when she was in odd future there was a lot of homophobic queerphobic lyrics that mm -hmm. were oh, yeah, coming they, they out were. of that and group frank ocean is gay steve lacy is gay right. sid is gay come like <laughs> right and she was almost forced to be the poster for answering these questions It'd be like yeah why are you in this group and she's like why are you asking me i'm just trying to make the music that i want to make why don't you bring it up to the people that are saying these things? So it's interesting that there are these two fairly political songs in the album, considering the band is somewhat avoiding that. And I think that kind of goes into the nature of where we are in society in general, in that even if you're just trying to have a good time, there's always that undercurrent of fear of worry about what actually is happening in society. There's no way around it. We live in a world right now where those issues are always going to be a part of what's going on. And there's a really annoying push by a lot of people to say like, oh, you're in music, don't talk about this stuff. Oh, you're in video games, don't make a political statement. Oh, you do this, don't do this. People are people still. Corporations are made of people, bands are made of people, and people have to interact with society every day. You can't avoid this. It is always a part of everything that goes on, even if you're just trying to make a nice R&B album. Yeah, can't get away from it, but people don't want to talk about it. Right. Well, it's also hard to talk about it. And being in an entirely black band, you're almost obligated to talk about that. And that must be exhausting. Yeah. They say in one lyric of the song, just play a role. That mixed with the not waiting on reparations is just, it got to me. It was painful to think about the fact that you know, people don't have a choice. Yeah, it's tough. And one of the interesting things that I've noticed about music is and almost every single album that I've covered so far has been the world sucks. Yeah. Like society sucks in its current state, society and the world and the way that we treat each other sucks. And so it's weird. Music is this very political thing. It has been this very political thing since it was popular mm -hmm. music has been political probably before the 1900s but like in the 1900s became incredibly political because you had black artists that were revolutionizing music they were introducing new musical styles all the time and then a lot of white people stole it and changed it and became popular off of the success of the music that they didn't create and so music has been political and music has been very racially charged for the last 120 years if not longer and so i can't imagine having to still exist in that space i can't imagine what it must be like to feel like you have this weight on you to try and almost recapture some of the success that you feel was taken away. 
but also not wanting to feel obligated to have to comment on it every single time you make something new. Still, too, 120 years later, it's still something that is so prevalent and we can't can't figure it out I can't, we can't yeah can't figure I'm, it out i know it's all systematic you know right like the world was created in america to keep white people up and push everybody else down the new laws overturning roe v wade that's politically charged and it's also racially charged yeah it Sorry, is you're bringing up a lot of frustrations that i've been thinking <laughs> about lately no i get it and and that's kind of the world we live in and it's something that is not that we can't really avoid this is just a topic that is going to keep coming up and is probably always going to keep coming up because people are just unable to change at least for now hopefully that changes itself but this is an interesting album and they do point out something that i thought was nice there is a review from nme by carl anka and he says that after making a few songs this is a this is a quote from one of the members of the band but they say after making a few songs we realized that we really want to use this album to live by example and promote camaraderie amongst young black people specifically referring to kind of a three-song run between it gets better and wannabe Mm -hmm. even trying to avoid being political it's hard not to and realizing that they do have that space to make that decision being like yeah we want to still say something important i think is really important it's an interesting album and it has an interesting place in the current modern musical soundscape mm-hmm. and i am happy that you suggested it yeah it's uh, i love the instrumentation it's decorated with so much like texture yeah and and like the songs seem to like they repeat the lyrics a lot but i feel like i was worried going into this album that you wouldn't be able to enjoy it just because it's slower paced than probably what a lot of what you listen to sure yeah i'm, I'm glad you were able to appreciate it because i love r&b and i love the soundscapes that the genre allow yeah i feel like there's a lot of experimentation that's possible with r&b and you can hear it with like all of the background noises and in r&b they often use electronic production more often i think and i think that does allow for for that experimentation yeah it's an interesting album and i'm glad that you brought it to me and i hope that it introduces more people to this genre that otherwise maybe wouldn't have tried it yeah all right well with that i think that's a good wrap for this week's episode of throughline with the internet's hive mind and remember everyone the world is divided so politically but they're kind of suggesting in this album that everybody has a hive mind everybody's connected in some way or another and even though we have different intentions and different paths that we're going down in the end we're all connected in a consciousness and we can relate to each and every character i think that they provided i think that's better than anything i could have come up with so we're just going to end it with that have a good night everyone thank you for listening (laughs) 